This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It goes down. It goes down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable. Bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Hey everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Seipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos, and Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson. How's everybody doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Just I'm happy good. my building survived that stor- uh, snow yeah. squall yesterday. Yeah, that was pretty weird. That was some crazy, crazy shit. Love climate change. I do actually love extreme weather, uh, but, you know, yeah, climate change bad. <laughs> I mean, the, the official stance of uh, Complex of Queens, climate change uh, bad. Climate change, climate change bad. <laughs> At least it wasn't, like, damaging hail and shit like that. Like, it was just snow and wind. I have like a window looking out on the river, at Col- and it was like snowing up. Basically, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, that must have been wild. It, it was nuts. Love when snow goes up. 
just like it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have uh, an action-packed episode here, so we're just going to jump right in to the first thing we're going to touch on. And early this week, um, minor leaguers reported to camp spring training because even though the major leaguers are locked out, uh, minor leaguers are not part of the MLB Players Union, so therefore they are not locked out, and and their season is going to be you know uh, starting on time and everything. But one guy whose season is not going to be starting on time, and we kind of knew this, but we've we found out some more information. Uh, is Matthew Allen, and during an interview, he didn't, it, I'm not going to say he let slip, because it, I don't think it was supposed to be secret or anything like that, but we just hadn't heard this yet, but in January, he underwent uh, ulnar transposition surgery, which, it, it happens, you know, a lot of other players have had that and they've come back, and there's no issues. But at the same time, very recently, a couple of Mets minor league players have had that same surgery. Jordan Humphreys, um, two years ago, three years ago, and his career just, you know... Traded for Billy Hamilton. Yeah, and he just kind of flamed out. He got uh, released, like, right after that, I think, too. Yeah. yeah. Thomas Sabucky. After he went on the DL last year, you know, um, he underwent that surgery too. Basically, it's a surgery that a lot of guys that have Tommy John get. It's, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but basically, like, something in the elbow is causing not necessarily pain. Yeah, it's like something is pressing down on a nerve, so it's, it's causing anything between pain and numbness, so... They basically move stuff around in the elbow so that the nerve is not being. They move the nerve. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they the like re. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't the, know. Uh, have a normal Tommy John recovery. I feel like that. Uh, the meme from the Babadook with the mom yelling at her kid. Why can't you just be normal? Met yeah. Tommy John <laughs> recoveries <laughs> screams. Because they literally can't. Yeah. They. It's always stuff like this, and it's like guys. Just, who are the guys who have had Tommy John in this organization? Noah Syndergaard, setback. Jordan Humphreys, out of baseball. Marcus Molina was probably always screwed because of those mechanics. I'll give them yeah. all a good. Harvey was normal-ish, but then thoracic outlet syndrome, so... I don't that, know if that's their fault, but yeah. Right, like, right. That's, that's, that's almost like something completely unrelated, so call that one normal. Matz's wasn't normal. Wheeler. Uh, Wheeler's Wheeler. wasn't normal. DeGrom it, had the surgery right mm-hmm. after. DeGrom had it like seven years after the yeah, fact. That's true. His, his Tommy John was so long ago, it's like before any of us were paying that close of attention. His also wasn't normal, right? I don't know if uh, it was normal. I don't remember, Probably honestly. Not. The fact the fact that we're digging this far back is illustrative <laughs> of the point, though, right? Like, we have to go like ten years back <laughs> to see if the last time they had a relatively normal... Uh, <laughs> Tommy John recovery, so. And I think, and like we, we, the Royal, we underestimate the, or, or let me say that, overestimate the recovery probabilities from Tommy John. Like, it's good. It's pretty good these days, but it's not perfect. The Mets are frighteningly bad at this. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. 
I, I don't know. Because Hopefully they, they'll, they, they're starting to get new people in to actually fix these things, but like right now, those, that stuff's not in place. Like, it's been like a year since the new regime took over, so. Now, all, all that time. said, I am less concerned about this than like Thor not throwing breaking balls. Oh, sure. I'm not necessarily concerned. It's more just like, damn. Just hey, like one not time. Not a problem anymore. It's like two and he's gonna he's thrown ten professional innings or whatever and he's gotten two and a half years of no if he even makes it back if he doesn't make it back this year that's three years since he's thrown a professional pitch basically like that's problematic right basically he was very unlikely to pitch in any meaningful way this season anyway because he got Tommy John last May so let's say you know this May is is a year and you give him a couple of extra months because it's usually how it goes maybe he comes mm-hmm. back in like August there's mm-hmm. a couple of innings I think now it's basically a given that he's going to be pitching no innings mm-hmm. yeah did he say when he got this January in January okay yeah oh. uh, he might not pitch this year yeah If it's making it me, it's making it harder for me to push uh, Mauricio down lists, which I really <laughs> that, don't. Yeah, that's appreciate. the problem. Like, like we've talked about that before. But who are you going to put over him? You know, yeah. a guy who hasn't pitched in three years. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, no, I feel you. <laughs> uh, basically, I was looking at a study that was done in 2019 by the American Journal of Sports Medicine, and 62% of players that undergo ulnar transposition surgery that they studied and the period of time was between 2010 and 2016, 62% of them were able to return to the field and 56 of those players returned to the field either with no noticeable difference in their stats or they were actually improved. And the metrics that they used were ERA and whip for pitchers and then war and OPS for hitters. That's kind of, I think, you know, at first when I was looking, I was like, oh, like, good, 62%, that's good, and 56 are even better, like, great, but realistically, like, that those are all kind of empty numbers that they were using to look at mm-hmm. when it comes sure. specific, yeah. more specifically to minor league players because none of this stuff really matters. We're looking at stuff and, and track record more so than just, you know, like, okay, someone's ERA or their OPS or whatever. Because Alan could come back and have, you know, like a, a perfectly sterling zero ERA for mm-hmm. the first month of the season in 2023, but he's throwing 83 miles an hour, you know? Right. right. I mean, to be fair to these researchers, they're not yeah, – their understanding is based on the biology right, as right, opposed right. to the baseball side. I mean, just, I mean, the last two notable guys to have this are Stephen Matz and Jacob deGrom. Both of them have been totally fine coming back. Um mm-hmm. The much you know bigger concern this? is like all the lost development time for Allen, I think, because he's going to be like what twenty two by the time he finally gets back on a mound. Twenty one, like twenty three, I think. I think he was nineteen, turning twenty. In well, he's 19. twenty. He's twenty right now. His birthday 20, okay. is in April, so he'll be twenty one. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't pitch again this year, it'll, he'll be twenty two next year, having not taken a mound since twenty nineteen. Basically, mm-hmm. I'm less worried about Allen and more like. The Mets had another Tommy John. I know we just talked about this, but that's really where my concern is, where it's mm-hmm. another botched Tommy John recovery. Mm-hmm. Like, it's another guy with another arm issue after it, and it's just like, one of these times it's going to catch up to them. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
I don't want it to be with Allen because I think the potentials are really good. But at some point, you just gotta have a guy have Tommy John and then be fine. You know, are, like are they? Uh, I mean, I assume they're going to Elitrache or. Um, I think they go to him. I'm pretty. Sure. Who's the other guy? Who's Nate? The main guy. Uh, oh my god, I'm having a stroke. Alchuk. Alchuk. Yeah, that no, but the like the. He used to be like you saw this doctor's name and you drop a guy in fantasy immediately. Yeah, because oh. it's like, oh, well, that's Tommy John. <sighs> I'll figure it out by the end of the pod. I assume they're not going to like – I hope they go to one of the main guys here, not like Joe Schmo, Tommy John surgery. They're going surgery. to Dr. Nick, bro. Dr. Nick. <laughs> Zoidberg. Why not Zoidberg? He just uses his claws. <laughs> Who do you have more faith in, Dr. Nick or Zoidberg? Zoidberg probably. Push? Mm. <laughs> yeah, push. Can I just can I just kill myself instead? <laughs> I mean that's what's gonna end up happening anyway. Like they're gonna oh, box yeah. they're just gonna cut your arm off, so Oh god. Not great. Alright, so that was the main uh Mets related spring training. Well, quote-unquote, I guess, spring training news, because spring training is kind of uh, unique this year. Uh, because, you know, everything that's going on, and there, like I said, there's not going to be a major league season, it's looking like, at least early on. But there will be a minor league season, and this past weekend, college baseball started. So that means that today we're going to be discussing college baseball and the 2022 draft and it's believe it or not our third annual way too early draft special and that's crazy mm-hmm. that, that we're up to three already mm-hmm. we've had a pretty good track record lucas in 2019 you you wanted Beatty, and they got Beatty, and beatty has been good nailed it uh 2020, yeah, good yeah 2020 thomas wanted peter armstrong they got PCA, um, you know, Jari's is out, but it's not, yeah, he's not he barely with us anymore anyway, so it is what it is. Um, that sounded way more ominous than... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> 2021, I don't nobody that we wanted, nobody specifically that we were looking to get selected, got selected by the Mets. Obviously, the guys that we were looking at got selected by other teams, though. So maybe we will have uh, luck again this year. Obviously, the Mets are having two first-round picks, the 11th overall because of the Kumar Rocker situation last year, and then the 14th overall because of their uh, record at the end of the 2021 season last year. So instead of just picking one guy, like you could, we, we could have just picked one guy and then you know whoever is going to be that 11th pick. But more goes into it than just, you know, like in a vacuum when you have two high-level picks like that so close to each other. It's not like, okay, they have the the, the 11th overall pick and then they're picking again at like 30 or something like that where there's going to be a giant gulf in between those two picks and a lot could happen. 11 and 14 are pretty close to each other. You can use, you know, like there's different strategies that the Mets might use when making these picks. So I said, yeah, you know what? It's more fun. Let's just go with two picks anyway. Mm. So this year we'll be following 
two players apiece. Yes, there might be some overlap, um, as we will, we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty in a couple minutes. Um, so yeah. Um, first we'll talk about the 11th overall pick, which again is, is because of the whole Kumar Rocker situation. Sorry. Sad. And as we've, we've discussed, I think, well, last year they had the 10th overall picks. And, well, like, we were kind of talking about last year, and this kind of applies again this year. Around, you know, like, 7, 8 or so is when you start to move into that secondary tier of players. Obviously, you have, like, 1 and 2, let's say, are like, the no-doubters. Like, obviously, these guys are the best. Then you have, you know, the next couple of picks are those players that, you know, the best hitter in college baseball, the best prep player, the best prep pitcher, things like that. And then around this this area is where now you're starting to get into those secondary guys of players that are really good, but, you know, maybe there's a little issue, like, you know, this guy has a hitch in a swing, or this guy needs to work in his command battle, or he doesn't have a third pitch, or he's really strong commitment to uh, a college. There's a lot of, you know, uh, different scenarios at this level. But there's a lot of different you know, players that you could uh, potentially get drafted here. I Do you guys, just from a macro sense, I know we've talked about this a lot the last couple of years, how it feels like the Mets always pick at the back end of a tier. Mm-hmm. It feels like that isn't the case for once this year. Just looking at the draft board as it stands now. Um, uh. And maybe that changes, like, as, as the draft boards move around over the next however many months. But, like... There's definitely a top group, and the Mets aren't there. But like for instance, last last couple of years ago it was like a six, seven or eight player draft, and they're picking tenth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It does. It feels like okay. There's a clear top five or six here, and the Mets. Yeah, are I think that's the thing. In the middle of the next tier, right? Which feels a lot better than what usually happens. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because um, there's less of that top end. Like it's more of a deep draft than a mm-hmm. top heavy mm-hmm. draft. So. The Mets aren't really losing out by picking 11 and 14. If anything, it's a good thing for them because mm-hmm. they'll be able to like quickly restock a farm system, a farm system that needs it. But um, like of course I want them to pick one or two or whatever. Like if they're gonna be bad, but uh, if they're not picking seven, I'd be a little annoyed. But they're picking it 11, so okay, you're already missing the top guys unless something crazy happens. And I think that there was like a. In the standings, it was like a three-way tie or four-way tie. Yeah. And I think conceivably the Mets could have picked as, as low as 10, if I'm remembering correctly. So that would have been cool if they had 10 and 11 back-to-back. But I mean, uh, Cohen should have just paid uh, uh, <laughs> Rojas to lose some games, you know, NFL style. I mean, he was paying him, and they were losing games anyway. So He was doing his best to help them <laughs> lose games without the money. It's a good company, man. All right, so um, first we'll talk about our first uh, picks, the 11th overall pick. Who who would like to talk about that guy first? Do we have any volunteers? Um, I could go first. All right, sure. So the guy I picked for 11 is um, Gavin Cross out of Virginia Polytechnic Institute, otherwise known as Virginia Tech. Which is a fun school to have a first round pick because like 
it's been almost a decade or even longer. Two thousand two. Part of their name. Yeah, that's what tech is. <laughs> um, How did I not know this? But um, the dude could just like he could hit. Like he's a corner out. He's a big lefty, six three, two fifteen, listed as on Baseball Reference. And right now he's like, he pretty much plays right field and first base, which is kind of boring. But with the DH coming in, I think you could. It's it's okay to have to kind of go hitter first a lot more easily in the first round, you know. And I also think that that position, like, I don't want to say lack of positional versatility because he's not a bad outfielder. It's just when you're six three two fifteen, you don't really you can't really move around the diamond much as a lefty, you know. But the dude could really hit. So in sixty eight college games, he's hit three fifty four, four eighteen, five seventy two, um, and like that's just when you hit that well. I don't really care if you can only play right field. And especially, like I said, as with the DH coming in, if he ends up being a guy who you have to DH three times a week, that's not a bad thing to have on a minimum salary and through arbitration. You know, you don't have to pay tens of millions of dollars for for a DH when you could have a guy like this do it, and then you could spend that money elsewhere. But um, the swing—it's like he has like an openish stance, and then he closes in on the ball, and he has a nice—he has nice lift to his swing. And he also has better speed than you would think for a guy that fast. I think he's been clocked at like a 4-3 to first base. Like, that's not blazing speed, but also that's not slow either. You know, like he's an athlete. He's very clearly an athletic player. Um, my only – I think he will be there at 11. Like, right now he's kind of a, around the 10-ish mark at most places from what I've seen. Like, a really strong season might boost him up because of how weak the top of the class is, but also – Again, going back to his positional versatility, no one's going to take a right field only player at seven or whatever. You're going to want something a little more versatile than that. Mm-hmm. But he's just, he's one of those guys where I think he could just purely hit. I think he's a pure hitter. I think he's going to be one of those guys who will fly up your minor league system as well because he's already a college guy. He's, he'll be, he'll come into the, it reminds me a little bit of Conforto in a way where you drafted him and then in a few years he was already ready because he was a polished college hitter. And I think you could take that at 11 because you could get a little creative at 14 and the rest of your comp picks and stuff. That works. I mean, it's not like uh, you're not you're not sacrificing this pick to then have more money for those other later picks. Like he's legit a good player. So, yeah, he could hit like he could very clearly hit. And he's been hitting since he joined. Virginia Tech, which is a very fun, like like I said before, like how many good players come out of Virginia Tech? It's been forever. So it's good for the national team too. Yes, it. I, I think it's just one of those guys where you need the, the Mets need guys who could hit, who are young, and if he comes up and he could play a solid right field, then that's just locked away for a few years. And if he has to DH, then he could do that, and then that's locked away for a few years. So not necessarily first base with Pete, but also. Injuries happen. You don't know what happens with Alonzo if he has to move there. Then it is what it is. But that's my first. If he's running a four-three to first, he could probably play the outfield. Why the fuck are they playing him at first base? I know. Yeah, he mostly plays right field. Like he's played some first base. Okay, that happens a lot in college. Is this a Paven Smith situation? I mean, it's literally like five games at first base and fifty-nine mm. in the outfield. Like, really some got that first rare first base center field eligibility for fantasy. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, Excellent. stuff like that. He also has a very strong arm, which at six three two fifteen you kind of don't mm-hmm. you're not surprised from, but that's what makes him more of a right fielder than a left fielder, I suppose. But yeah, that's I just like the bat and I like I like his swing plane. I like his ability to lift on the ball. He obviously could. He obviously has a strong eye, despite uh, 
he actually gets on base. Like he had a 17, he struck out 48 times and walked 17 times in 51 games in 2021, which is, he was only walking that much because he hit the ball all the time. But like you would take that because you could see that you could see his eye getting better as competition gets better. And he just makes less contact because he's facing better players in the minors, you know? Mm -hmm. That is the point of coaches is to teach them how to be better. And Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Uh, The guy that I picked is pretty similar to Kuros. I went with Chase DeLouder, who is an outfielder from James Madison university. Again, another school you don't see too many guys get drafted out of. Not exactly a, a baseball powerhouse. Um, That's a fun one, James Madison. Yeah. So they've had 75 guys get drafted over the, the decades, and only yeah. 12 guys made the majors. So, yeah, not not uh, not too much representation. But he's from Martinsburg, West Virginia. I've been to Martinsburg before. It's a one-horse town, I guess. Is that what they say? <laughs> it's a place. <laughs> it is a place. Remembering after, some places. Yep. After graduating, <laughs> he went to James Madison. Freshman year was 2020, obviously, you know, uh, short because of COVID, because, but, but he did hit well. 2021, he didn't play too much just because, again, James Madison is not a big baseball school. They're, you know, on a, on a not, uh, a major division or anything like that. And there were periodic COVID uh, cancellations and stuff. So he only played 26 games in 2021, but he hit 386, 508, 723 with six homers. So Jeez. that works. Six homers, seven stolen bases, and 25 walks to 14 strikeouts. So that works. But after the season, then he went to the Cape to get some more time. And obviously, you know, the Cape is uh wood bat league, and only the best of the best usually go. So um, his performance there was was more impressive, even though it wasn't as gaudy. 34 games there. He hit 298, 397, 589. He led the league in homers with nine, um, five steals, and 21 walks to 18 strikeouts. I wish that he had a longer track record. I mean, his basically his entire college career is about 40 games, and he's going into his third year, plus the time at the Cape. But A, he performed extremely well in the limited games that he did play, and B, he he performed extremely well in the Cape with the wood bat and everything, so that's kind of important. And C, actual scouts and evaluators and people that know more than me like him a lot <laughs> um watching video like his swing is kind of weird we've been discussing this on our um slack channel and it's like he 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 gets his He's upper and lower halves yeah he, he ends up out in front a lot yes he's sticking his fanny out as keith would say and keith does not like when people stick their fannies out but you know, I'm not an actual scout. Hitting mechanics are kind of the thing that I have most difficulty judging. So I'm just going to go with the opinions of all those anonymous scouts out there that are saying that he's going to be an above average hitter despite kind of weird uh, mechanics that he has right now. You remind me of like if a normal athlete swung Bryce Harper. Like, but Harper does very what only he could do. 
Mm-hmm. If anyone else tried to smoke like that, they would literally never hit a baseball. But it's like a I don't want to say a dumbed down version of that, but it's like a it's like a dumbed down version of it, you know, like visually. I mean, he makes it work. Which oh is, yeah, is and the main thing. I wonder if his lack of playtime actually gets him around 14 when he actually deserves to go higher. Yeah, he's he's another guy that you know his performance could make him go from you know around 10 ish or so to maybe three. Who knows? You know, like probably not that high, but yeah. But he's got like he he kind of checks almost all the boxes. He's got above average raw power. His um, hitting tool is good enough that he should be able to manifest it in-game. He has a great eye, very good sense of the strike zone. He's got usable speed, and he's an efficient runner. Um, he's got a plus-plus arm. He pitched a little bit. And he has enough range to like handle center field, but more likely he's going to be a right fielder and should be an above-average one, so... Like Cross, he's like a, a very advanced hitter that you could see making an impact pretty quickly. And guys, like I mean, Colton, the the Orioles do weird things, but but they did take Colton Cowser very high last year. I think uh, teams have been more open to taking these smaller conference gambles. Um, Nick York, that the Red Sox took, comes to mind. I'm pretty sure he was a smaller conference guy, so I wouldn't. I be like opposed. that stuff, honestly. Mm-hmm. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. Um, who's next? Call a name, Steve. You tell. You direct us. All right. Well, let's go with alphabetical order then. Uh, Ken. Yeah. Doesn't help that you and I are both uh, right next to each other. But uh, uh-huh. well, we're both stupid, is what I've determined from this. <laughs> uh, also true. Um, yeah. Yes, so I do that same same thing with the alphabet too. So a couple years ago, I desperately wanted um, Josh Jung to float to the Mets. Uh, he ended up being selected, I think, three or four picks before the Mets were able to um, to draft. Uh, so now we're going to go with the sequel, Jace Jung, second baseman <laughs> out of Texas Tech. Um, very, very similar to his brother, except he's a left-handed hitter, which I like. Um, you know, he's projected to hit and hit with power. Uh, he's a, he's a second baseman for now. Uh, he's played some third, but he's probably not going to give a lot of um, value other than his bat, uh, which is fine because dude has done nothing but hit since you know coming to the the Big Twelve. As a freshman, he hit two sixty four, four thirty eight, six oh four, with eighteen walks against fifteen strikeouts. Um. As a sophomore, 337, 462, 697 with 49 walks against 45 strikeouts. Um, he can really just do anything with the bat. And um, I, I really like that he walks more than he strikes out. 
the one knock on him, as was the knock with his brother, which turned out not to be much of a thing at all, is uh, the swing's a little weird. He's a little bit more upright. There's um, some odd hand movement in his setup. But, you know, the results have spoken for themselves, and we've seen how his brother, you know, has, has fared doing a lot of the same things. So... His brother had a 166 weighted runs created plus in AAA last year. Yeah, no, his brother, nine his homers really, really, in 156 plate appearances. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's uh, a, he's a baller. Yeah, he, he's really really good. Could have told you that when he was at Texas Tech. Oh yeah, Ken loved him. I remember that. Oh, I was so pissed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I see his brother is is very similar. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to watching him this year. Trying to run, run to the draft board if he's there. At oh yeah. my god! Yeah. He's, he, like I don't sprint. think he'll be around. Any, any, but uh, for you never know. But sprint. continuity's sake, I figured I, I would just do it. More <laughs> likely that he slides to first than his brother too. I think. Uh, I I know like he's playing second base outfielder. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think oh, you stick him at another position to get the bat in the lineup, like to get another first base level bat. You know. Bar is so low for left field defense. I can't imagine. Yeah, that, you know. I mean, Dom Smith played there for a year. <laughs> Max Muncy plays second base, so maybe Jace Jones. Oh God, too. Ken, I do have to ask: uh, what percentage of your interest is derived from the no batting gloves? Uh, I did see a few videos with him wearing batting gloves. Oh, oh no! Oh, Drop wow. it down the board. <laughs> nope. His brother's going to disown him. Mm-hmm. How can you carry on the, the family name like this? Pitiful. <laughs> Pathetic. But yeah, that dude could hit. So could his brother. I don't know what's going on that, that, down there. Yeah, what, what are they What are they feeding these kids? Yeah. <laughs> jar it and sell it. The Mets are going to hire their dad to be the player development guy. No, if only that actually worked like it does in basketball. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he's half the gamer that that Josh was, mm-hmm. I remember seeing all sorts of video about how he would just like go in the outfield and like like visualize the game for hours before. Um, oh, so he's a psychopath. I got. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> um, then the nicer term would be obsessive. <laughs> That's like hockey goalie nonsense, where they sit behind the goal in the stands and just watch and like imagine the game, <laughs> and it's just like, damn. Athletes are a different breed. Professional athletes are a different breed. Yep, that's why they're professional athletes. Yes, and we're, and here. we're sitting here on a Sunday morning talking about them. Yep. <laughs> now, do you have any, um, what's the right word? Any fears that the Jung brothers may turn out like the Chittini brothers? No. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Completely different. They, like, uh, never hit? No. That that was the thing. Chichini was supposed to be like a um, so like Garen hit a little bit, but um, Gavin was supposed to be, you know, sort of a, a some jack of all trades type, you yeah, know. No. Uh, I don't really believe in that as a, a draft profile. I'd rather take two really the, good develop tools. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I guess he was because a jack of all trades doesn't do any one thing good, mm-hmm. and he didn't do Yeah, he was supposed any... to be like a good defensive shortstop who could hit a little bit. He didn't do any one thing good, so... Right. So, mm-hmm. I'd rather take two very well-developed skills here, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Jace has shown the ability to hit and hit for power. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could figure out the other stuff, especially in yeah. the era of infield shifts and and smarter defense. You can get and away with so DH. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So not worried about that at all. I'm I'm doing everything in my power to hold myself back from going on my Gavin Sakini rant, which I've given <laughs> way too many times on this podcast. Years after the fact. I don't know why, but when you said, you know, his brother and him, I'm just like, the first thing that popped into my mind is them two. I was like, oh, no. All right, so. Lucas. me. Mm-hmm. So the top prep pitcher in this class is Dylan Lesko and has been for what feels like five years. It's obviously only like two. Um, but here, we've been hearing that name for a while. Probably the second best prep pitcher in this class is Brock Porter. He's from St. Mary Prep Orchard, um, Lake Michigan. He's committed to Clemson. Um, similar to Beatty, and this was one of the points that came up uh, when he was drafted. He's going to be an old draftee at 19. Um, but the stuff for a prep pitcher is pretty undeniable. Um, has been sitting mid-90s and is pushing to the high 90s with more projection on his frame. He's listed at 6'4", 200. There's no way he currently weighs 200 pounds. It looks like he weighs two pounds soaking wet. Um, so there's room for some good weight there, room for more velocity, I think. Um, I don't like either of his breaking balls from my limited viewing, and, and obviously there's been talk about them on other places where they're a rosier take. Um, but he has a really, really excellent changeup, like one of those Bugs Bunny changeups with a 20-mile-an-hour velocity gap, um, which is one of my favorite pitches uh, aesthetically and I, I think also just in terms of efficacy. Um, and it's helped him just dominate at, at basically everywhere he's been. Um, this is also a concept we've talked about before, though, where uh, yeah, developing a changeup is, is super hard, and it's good to see someone have it already, but it's a little difficult to evaluate how good their changeup actually is because no one at this level has a changeup, right? You mm-hmm. throw a half-decent yeah. one, and everyone's like, this is fucking black magic. I can't get within a foot of this pitch. Um, so that gives me a, a little bit of pause, but but overall, I, I, I really like the – I mean, the frame's there. The mechanics are good. The command is, is pretty – he's a command over control guy, but who isn't as a prep arm. Um, high in velocity, uh, good – like possibly elite changeup. Slightly questionable feel for spin, but but that's something that I, I would think could be developed. There's enough ingredients here that I'm very intrigued. Um, so – that that would be my. And I, I also don't know how much you'd have to pay him to get out of the Clemson commitment, so that would definitely factor in the the decision to draft him or not here. But uh, that would be my first pick overall here. I wouldn't be upset if they went with him. I do want to add that I wanted to go with a different prep pitcher, that being Jackson Ferris, um, both because I watched him a bit last spring and liked what I saw and also so many good memes you can make out of Ferris, but his summer was really poor. Um, there's a chance they swap places, right? The draft prep arms especially are a very dynamic group of players in terms of their draft position at this time of year. Um, if Ferris has a really good spring, I think he could surge back up and then I might waffle on my name here, but for now, uh, Porter's the guy. 
Yeah, I mean, there's good frame, good fastball. It's like you were saying, it's nice that there's a more developed changeup at, at such a young age. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, a lot that they could, it, it's a good foundation that then a professional team could mold into whatever they want to mold them into. I think, I think there's also an argument that we've seen, uh, this was a discussion we actually had years ago with the Worth and Slider, right? Do you take a guy with no slider and try to develop it because you have a track record of doing it? I think now teams have figured out how to train spin to a degree, right, with all the track man and other data available. And if you think you have a better chance of developing spin or developing a breaking ball than you do of teaching a guy a functional changeup, because it sure as hell doesn't seem like we figured out how to do that on a large scale. Maybe you take the guy who already has the changeup and you trust your developmental process to to give him a, a, a better breaking ball. Do you trust the Mets? I don't trust the Mets for anything, Steve. Try <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a lie. I trust the Mets to disappoint me. I'm trying to think who is the last guy that kind of didn't really have a particularly great breaking ball that in the draft Mets, or in the system? No, in the system that Rafael they Montero. Said, no, no. Well, his slider's okay. Eh, was it? Was it really? But I'm saying the last guy that really didn't have one that then they kind of fixed. Caught. Yeah, yeah, like um the the guy with the Rangers now. Uh, the one that they trade, the one that the left-handed pitcher that they traded that we all got very angry about, and now he's a good reliever. Uh, <laughs> the one uh, that they traded for Jake Mersnick. Oh, well, with the with the Astros, um, Blake Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Blake Taylor. Yeah, yeah, Blake yeah. Taylor. Also a prep arm that they got in the Ike Davis trade. Mm-hmm. He's he's I guess the last guy that we've heard like had like an okay breaking ball that then the Mets kind of molded into a, a really good one and then traded him for nothing. I mean, I'll I'll I'll, I'll say the. Mets haven't had a ton to work with in this department, right? It's not like they've had some very talented but slightly flawed pitching prospect in recent memory, right? Like the best pitching prospect they've had in the last few years is Matt Allen, who hasn't seen the field, and JT Ginn, who also mostly hasn't seen the field, right? So there's not a ton to judge them on. Good old Mets. All right, so... A first round of either Cross, DeLauer, Jung, or Border would be pretty pretty fine, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now there's a second pick at 14. So, Thomas, we'll go, we'll go repeat the order we just did. Who would you pick at 14 now? So I'm also going a prep arm here. Um, Brandon Barea, he is from Florida. Uh, and he just has a lot of interesting stuff to me. That's why like he popped for me. Um, he's like 6'1", 170, so he's very, very tiny right now in terms of weight, but you, you, he could add weight for sure. Like 6'1", is still a, it's not the biggest frame in the world, but it's also not Marcus Strong. You know, there's, there's pitchers who are 6'1", and it's fine. But he's, he could throw up to 96 already at 17, and he has a lot of spin on both of his fastball and his slider. Like his fastball has, and both, both his fastball and slider have registered in like the 2400 to 2600 RPM. And when you have stuff that electric at 
like 17, that's just something that's going to, it's also going to fly you up draft boards, but also it's hard to look away from when he already has a changeup that he throws in game. It's not like he just throws those two pitches. He's left-handed. He has a very easy delivery. It's a little weird when he follow through with his back leg. He just kind of like, his, like he has a follow through with his back leg. Like I'm looking at it right now and I'm trying to describe it, but it's not very big. It's it's very like he just kind of pushes the ball forward. So you could work on his mechanics, maybe even have him throw harder and have even more stuff on his slider. Again, it's he's like 17. he's not utilizing his lower half. And he throws that hard. You know what I mean? Like, right. he mm-hmm. does, like, he has a little bit of a leg kick in the back. It's not all arm, but it's mostly arm. So if you could get him to utilize his lower half, you could, I could really see some r- real velocity from him. And he has a Vanderbilt commit, which is obviously a big deal. And I don't know the Mets' pension for paying out a big commitment like that when they have as many first-round picks as they do. But also... I kind of chose my picks in tandem, and I don't think Cross would break the bank. So if they want to do something like that, they could take Cross and probably sign him around slot, maybe even a little younger, uh, under because he's older. And then you could overpay a little bit for him for, for your second pick, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of thought, too. yeah, exactly. So I don't really know what their what their strategy is and how they're going to figure out the pool money because there's a lot of first-round money that's out there for them. So it'll be interesting to see that. But when you just, for me, it's the stuff. And even though the mechanics, like he doesn't utilize his lower half enough for me, you could fix that. That's not necessarily a deal breaker because he's so young that he doesn't turn 18 until March. So he's going to be 18 this cycle. And then by the time you get him into the organization, he'll be turning 19 this time next year, like in like two weeks or so. So like that's still a young kid and there's a lot of development you could do with him and if you already have the spin rates that he does on his slider and his fastball from the left side of the mound plus he already has a changeup that's considered average from what i've seen like that's a lot of stuff for a young kid that you could really mold him into something good and also like you never want your 14th round pick to be a reliever but if you have a fastball and slider like that and you're left-handed you're just going to end up as a floor pen guy. And that's not what the outcome that you want, but also that's an outcome that is helpful for an organization, even if it's kind of disappointing. Right. From any, any usable, any usable outcome is a good outcome. Yeah, exactly. Like if it turns out that he's not a starter cause he never develops a changeup or his mechanics don't let him and he ends up a really good reliever. You're like, eh, the first round, but also you won't care if the Mets are winning the winning playoff games because of him. you know, like mm. we'll just, we'll just kind of be like, okay, well that's where he works. So, Cool. He seems to be a. I, I'm annoyed for overlooking him because he seems to be a very modern pitching prospect, and I yeah. quite like everything you've said. He's gotten he got touched up a little bit by IMG recently, but also that school's ridiculous. Yeah, like, I mean IMG right. is is IMG. Yeah, like that's like a bunch of dudes who he'll face face in the minors, so he might get hit up in the minors. Of course, like that happens. Like that's going to happen at some point. So, but yeah, he's just he's it's the spin rates and the stuff and the age for me that. If you want to pay him out of Vanderbilt, you could really do. You could really bolster your pitching prospects. This dude Where's, screams like Dodgers or Rays. Yeah. 110 <laughs> inning. Yeah. Elite arm. Yeah, like a guy who spends forty all days the on the injured yeah. list. Yeah, he, they like. Oh, he has arm fatigue when he's really just like resting or not mm-hmm. or just getting load managed. But yep. yeah, it's the the stuff is very exciting, and right now he's not really in that fort like. Some places he is, some places he isn't around 14, 
But this is a guy who I can definitely see rising if he has a strong season just from all the stuff. Like Andrew Painter, the guy I picked last year. Like, he he rose up the boards just because he he performed well in high school and has the stuff to back it up. So Again, would not be disappointed if the Mets selected him. Um, I'm next, and I had a lot of back and forth with the second pick. I really liked Connor Prelip, a left-handed pitcher from Alabama, but he's just too much of a wild card. He had Tommy John last May. He's missing the entire season. Probably not going to pitch at all. I really can't justify 14th pick overall for him, even though when he's healthy, he's like super, super duper good. So I'm going to go with Landon Sims instead. He's a right-handed pitcher from Mississippi State. Um, he, he pitched the other day on opening day. They, Mississippi lost to Long Beach State 3 nothing. He gave up one earned run a homer. Uh, he, he gave up five hits over seven innings with no walks and 13 strikeouts. He's a, a big right-hander, 6'2", 230 from Georgia. He also played some high school football. He was a follow back then, uh, Baseball America and Perfect Game. They both considered him like top 20 to top 50 of all high school players, but there was some work to be done, and he had a strong commitment to Mississippi State anyway, so he went undrafted in the 2019 draft. 2020, he appeared in seven games out of the pen before COVID ended the season. Um, in 2021, he again was a bullpen arm. He appeared in 25 games total, and he posted a 144 ERA in 56.1 innings with 29 hits allowed, 15 walks, and 100 strikeouts. Originally, he was just kind of like a, a middle reliever, but the Bulldogs didn't really have anyone who could close, so they gave him the opportunity, and he just uh, went with it. And a similar thing happened this year now, with Will Bedner gone, JT Ginn gone, um, two other guys, Christian McLeod and Houston Harding, they all got drafted and they're, they're professional now. Mississippi State doesn't really have a, uh, a rotation. So just like they gave Sims the opportunity to just kind of close and he went with it, they gave him this year the opportunity to start. And if he keeps pitching like he did on Friday, he's going to be one hell of an ace for them. He strikes out tons of guys because he has a really good fastball. Sits in the mid 90s, like 94 to 96, touches 98, but he doesn't just like beat guys with it with um, brute force and speed. It has a high spin rate. Um, it's backspin, so it has like that rising life action. He throws from a tough angle for hitters. He he drops and drives, and it's a high three quarters, so it's like coming in on an upward angle to begin with. And in addition to that fastball, he also has a really good slider. Um, kind of like the Gromian. It's like a mid-80s. It's hits as high as 88, the high spin rate. Um, it's like sharp, right? Like not yeah. doesn't like move like crazy, but it's like very... Two, he has like two of them. One that's like cuttery like that where it's very sharp and doesn't move too much. And then there's one that's a little swoopier that's a little slower and has like more... Oh, that's fun. Uh, ...vertical movement, yeah. And then he also has a change-up, but, you know, he's been a reliever for his entire college career up to this point, so he really doesn't you know, it's been in his back pocket. I think he's thrown like three of them his entire college career. So the biggest thing is going to see how how much that develops. 
but given the background and, and everything, he he gives me major Justin Dunn vibes. I, I was thinking about that the entire time. Yeah, Dunn was a reliever, <laughs> had a strong fastball slider combo. Um, in his junior year, he got a ton of helium because he got shifted into Boston College's rotation, and and he did pretty well. I think Sims is a way better prospect than Dunn, though, in in two main ways. A, his stuff is just overall better. He has a better fastball. He's a better slider. Um, and B, his control and command are a lot better than Dunn's. And I guess th- three, three actually reasons, I guess. And also, he's just a bigger guy than Dunn. He's got like 40 pounds on him or so. So he should be able to shoulder like a major starter's workload, unlike Dunn, where he rarely yeah. never pitched all that much. I would have. I, I, I'm gonna. Uh, uh, I was hoping you were gonna go with the prelip. Not that I hate any of the things you said about Sims, but swing from the fences. Uh, if it was like twenty or something like that, I'd say mm-hmm. screw it. But fourteen is still too high. There's just there's still so many good arms and and bats out there that I really wouldn't want to give away my fourteenth pick on just a total wild card. My counterpoint would be you could possibly sign him under slot and give it to your one of your comp picks, but nothing you've said is wrong. Like, it's purely it. Yeah, that depends thing. on the strategy there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if he's still around when they do that comp at, at 40, whatever it is, like, I would sign him with that pick. No no questions. No reservations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And he might be. Who knows? Unlikely, but... Um, Ken, you're up. Um, so game time decision. Uh, I'm going to go with a, um, he's a Juco player, but not like a a normal Juco player. Um, he's a Cam Collier, a third baseman from, uh, Chipola Junior Mm -hmm. College. Um, he's projected to go a little lower than 14. I think maybe they'll be able to save a little bit on him and uh, spread some of that money either to their first first-round pick or to the comp picks, like we said. And uh, I think he's extremely weird. <laughs> and with weirdness in the draft, sometimes comes upside. That's yeah, when he's, he's, he's weird, but good. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, he's a, a son, son of a former big leaguer. He was projected to be one of the best players, one of the best prep players in next year's draft, but was supposed to be a little bit old for the draft class, similar to, to Batty, maybe not quite as old, but, um, you know, an older prep player. He said, you know, fuck it, I'm going to reclassify, <laughs> got his GED and headed to JUCO, and uh, he's going to be one of the youngest players in this year's draft. I honestly love all of what you just said. <laughs> yeah, no, Weird. I like it's it. so odd. He swings like Ichiro. He did all that shit. Like, we're in. <laughs> I really like the swing. Um, mm-hmm. It's, like, balanced. He stays through the zone. Um, obviously, he's 17. A lot can change. But I think there's a ton of upside here. And, you know, I, I was tempted to go with, with a college pitcher um, here, figuring, you know, with the, the amount of money that they're going to have in the first round – uh, might be a good idea to save on one of the two picks to spread around. Um, but I think the upside here is just too much to ignore. 
Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to hit for power. Uh, I don't know where he's going to play, but as has been documented on this, this podcast before, I don't, I don't really care about that, uh, in the early going. Um, yeah, I just think he's going to be real good. Where does he play now? Third base. Third base. Oh yeah, you said that. Sorry. And he's got a very strong I just, arm, so I just remembered you could stay there, but uh, again, not something I worry about with seventeen-year-olds. No, yeah, is crazy. Definitely like him as a pick. I was thinking about having him as my second pick myself, but chose not to go. And he's, I would not be upset at all. I'd be very excited if they went with him. Yeah, this would be a super fun. Like Ichiro, that's a fun one. This would be a super fun. He stays in longer than Ichiro, though. Yeah, but like the follow through and stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, This would be one that's like I would be all over him. Like he would be one of my favorite prospects in the system, like right away. (laughs) I think all the top five draft, all the draft, excuse me, all the top five. Prospects, all third basemen. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the, what, they, what number did David Wright wear, Steve? Five. five. What number? What, what position did he play, Steve? Five. He played position number five. I mean, did he? No. No. See, he played third base. So if you have five, yeah, he did five. Just honoring position in, in history with their prospects. And there you go. That works. Uh, I also, like we talked a lot with um, Jack Leiter when he was a prep pitcher, um, it's the same same argument for me, where if there's a chance you can get a guy who would be a top, you know, five pick in a later draft, um, I think it makes some sense to maybe jump the gun. Yep. So, I think yeah. I logic to that. Lucas, who is your 14th overall? So I went down the board a little bit here. There are definitely some other names I consider that are probably smarter names to choose. Um, but instead, I'm going to go with Dylan Beavers, an outfielder from Cal. I promise it's not just because I went to Cal. I don't particularly like my alma mater. Don't worry about me being biased towards it. Um <laughs> If anything, it's a bad thing. Yeah, if anything, I'd be like, then again, I did love Dalton Jeffries, too. He's working out. He just can't stay on the mound. Anyway, um, uh, Beavers uh, put up a really great season last year. 18 homers, 11 steals, hit 303-401-630, and that kind of got him noticed. Uh, Had a... In, like his his summer was bad, right? He went to the Cape and was awful, but it was eight games in his first time really with Woodbats. He wasn't great for the national team, right? Like those are concerning points. Um, but I, I, I'm still looking at the overall profile and, and liking what I see. He's athletic, six four, two oh six. Um, has played center field. He's playing right field for Cal this year, and that's probably like he profiles better as a good defender in a corner than a center fielder, though you could probably put him out there and it wouldn't be a disaster, at least early in his career. Um, has got lots of speed. Has a great arm because he actually came to Cal uh, thinking he would be a pitcher. Um, uh, thinking, oh. be a, thinking, he, thinking he would be a lefty. And then after the COVID season, uh, at some point during that time, uh, I forget the exact details of the story, even though I read it only yesterday, um, <laughs> just basically gave up pitching and started hitting. Uh, so there are a couple, there are a couple factors that make me interested, like part of that that makes me interested 
if you go back and watch his his high school tryout tape or his video, his swing looks fucking awful, right? Like I'm sitting, like it it, it looks bad. No wonder he was a pitcher. Um, but I, we've already seen significant improvement. The college performance in the Pac-12, which is a legitimate powerhouse baseball conference, yeah. uh, it's not yeah, like football, or, right? Like. Uh, as a sophomore, he was transitioning for like that's basically his first time ever being a full time hitter, right? Because he didn't have a freshman season because of COVID, and his sophomore year, he's a full time hitter after thinking he was going to be a pitcher. Um, the swing, uh, I was comparing it to to Bryce Harper's in our Slack channel. Now, I'm not saying the dude's Bryce Harper. He does not have the violent athleticism of Bryce Harper because almost no one does. Um, and I think it's a perfectly fair question to wonder how well Bryce Harper's swing works for someone who isn't that level of athlete. But it doesn't uh, work. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's 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 questionable. But he's making it work right now. I think he's bringing a lot of power and uh, uh, exit velocity out of his frame with what he is right now. Um, in two games, he's had a single. He got robbed of a double at the wall, like leaping catch, almost would have been a homer. That was in the first game. I don't know if that was an official game. That might have just been a scrimmage. Um, his first official hit of the year um, was a homer that went 407 feet and had an exit below of 108. So, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I see a, an outfielder with more upside than perhaps you'd think, given the history, um, but also someone that could, in fact, be ready fairly quickly, and that intrigues me. Plus... Uh, at least in my head, I've gone prep arm, so upside, and now I'm going to reach down the board a little bit and get maybe someone who's more second-round college pick, save some money, and try to to allocate it to my other uh, comp picks or my second-round pick, whatever it is I'm doing here. Granted, if he keeps hitting 108-mile-hour homers, he's going to be a first-round pick by the end of the spring. So It's definitely going to be fun, interesting, whatever, when, you know, like the week before the draft, whenever it is that we actually say, okay, let's let's map out what we would mm-hmm. do in the first couple of rounds with all of these picks that the Mets are going to be having. I mean, mm-hmm. so many different ways that we could go and and ways that they could go, obviously. Hopefully they go the right way. I wonder if someone who, like, obviously has a capability to improve quickly like that would have that capability like over and over again, you know, like, I don't know. how Exactly. Right. That's exactly why I'm particularly interested in this kind of guy. Like we're getting in early in case there's a lot more upside. It's not dissimilar to what Ken said about stagging a top five pick, right? You get in early on the development cycle in case it really Mm -hmm. blows up. And there are some guys that they are, I don't want to say like, would you say that learning is a skill? Taking, yes. taking, yes. yeah. Okay. I mean, I think so. That that that's something like I I liked Pete Alonso more than other people because like I saw like wow this guy he actually listened to his coaches mm-hmm. like at, at Florida and you know he he worked out well and and coaching was a big reason why. I mean, if if a guy is receptive to coaching, you could take like a you know Beavers clearly has raw tools mm-hmm. and you know. He's changed roles, totally revamped right. his swing, and done this in two years, right? Like, it fits very impressive. much into that mold. Yeah. I feel like most people wouldn't be able to do that. No. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. And granted, he's starting from a higher athletic base than most people, but yes. I mean, even Still. most athletes. 
Like, yeah, I think it's pretty impressive to say you, you think you're going to be a pitcher and they give you a bat and they said, here you go, kid, and you're able to leverage mm-hmm. all that into a high-level draft pick instead mm-hmm. of just basically floundering and being like, I can't do this. Cal does have a bit of history with these two-way guys. The Rays drafted one of them a couple years back, and his name is escaping me. Um, so there's some history there. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a two-way player, though, to be clear. Um Plus, the name Beavers. So many good puns. We're going to oh, leave it to Beavers. <laughs> Just that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to give all of them away. Okay, okay. I don't want to get people too excited and then just split and then never get to use any of these uh, prospect report headlines. That's true. we got to keep them in the back pocket. Yeah, so any of these names would be... Pretty. I mean, just the Mets system, the way it is, any of these names are going to be immediately plugged into the top 10 and fairly high in the top 10. I mean, who who did we have? We, we basically all had the first six players. So, I mean, any of these guys, I think, at seven would be automatic. And you could probably make the case depending on who it is and, you know, obviously how they do in – college and how our prospects do during the season that they could be plugged in even higher come draft time and then come uh December 2022 when we start making our 2023 list. I think most of these guys would slot in like immediately at four mm-hmm. and Probably. Young might slot in at three. Young? Yeah, Young. Whatever. if they get Young, he, he'll be three. very high up the board. Up the list, I mean, not board. It'll be nice to have a uh, an even stronger system. Hey, I look, ever, look, say it'd be nice to have a young in the system. God <laughs> damn it! So you're saying you want them to go younger, is what you're saying? Is it young? It's oh, young, correct. right? Yes, I think so. Okay, yeah. I hate that it's young. <laughs> Should be. I mean, the, we we saw the rest of the draft board like get drunk and let the uh, Marlins draft Khalil Watson at 16 last year. Maybe maybe the Mets will get that. I mean, yeah, year. you never know. Like baseball's yeah. weird in that sense. How the fuck Way weirder than Watson football or any other 16, sport where man. other factors factor into guys falling. Not really talent sometimes. All right, well, wrapping things up now with the Will Pondery of the Week, and that very clearly goes to Major League Baseball. I mean, honestly, every week, given the back and forth between Major League Baseball and the Players Union, you could give the Will Pondery of the Week to Major League Baseball every single week. But this week especially, because ESPN reported at the beginning of the week that one of the things that Major League Baseball wanted was to downsize the domestic reserve list from 180 to 150 or below. And the domestic reserve list is basically back in – it's basically the amount of players that a team can have. Back in 2020 when MLB eliminated all those teams and it went from 162 to 120 and restructured everything so there's four levels – they instituted the domestic reserve list, and it's an agreement that says, you know, uh, teams can roster this many players in the domestic minor leagues at, at this time. And it was agreed at 180. And, like, little over a year now, they want to cut it down to 150 or below. So 
It's like they're not even trying to hide their maniacal evilness anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I mean, at least at the beginning, the, the first time when they were cutting all the teams, they were like, yes, we're doing it for better facilities and we want more accountability and things that on the surface you could kind of be like, all right, but they don't even, they don't even care. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. You do not discover Jacob deGrom with 150 players. You do Mm -hmm. not discover Daniel Murphy. You don't discover Lucas Duda, who's like one of my random favorite players. Um, Yeah, you lose so much. Right? Like, these are, like, people will point out that a lot of these draft picks and a lot of these guys that are getting cut, like, would be cut from the system, never had a chance. And you're right. They never had a chance. But then you're also you're you're losing all these other significant opponents of recent Met just this just the Mets alone, right? We can mm-hmm. name multiple players who are a significant part of recent history. Just so that you can save some pennies by not paying twenty extra scrubs. Thirty extra scrubs. And it's like why are you gonna just cut these kids' dreams for no reason? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like in a non even if they don't make it. Like, who cares if someone plays, like, seven years of minor league baseball before they're like, I'm done, you know? Like, it doesn't do any... It doesn't affect you, the Mets or the Yankees or anyone's bottom line. Like, just That's the it. craziest thing, right? What are you like, talking about? They could be making, you know, 30 extra thousand dollars. Yeah, but exactly. Why like, is this the point they want to fight about? <laughs> because they just see... They just see pennies and they just can't think. It's a rounding error to these organizations. Like, literally, it's a rounding error. Even if you pay them all, like, a normal livable wage, it's a rounding error. Like, uh-huh. every single player in the system. Let alone what they're already paying the guys now, which is nothing. You're paying them a life you, experience. It's just, like, it's just cruel to, while even if they don't pan out and they don't become the Murphys or the Groms or whatever, like, let the let the dude play till he's twenty eight, and then he's like, "Nah, I'm done. I can't. I'm clearly not good enough, or whatever." Like if, that's, if you invested fifty thousand dollars per year in one hundred eighty players, that's nine million dollars a year. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to go so far as to say that's a rounding error, but it's sure. Nothing, yeah. Right. At their current salaries, it is a rounding error. <laughs> but Lucas, player, remember yeah. that yeah. Uh, major, owning a major league baseball team is not a, a good investment. You should. Just, ah, right, right. I mean, Who told be, you that? Uh, uh, I believe it was yeah no I believe it was Robert Manfred <laughs> who said you'd be better off putting your money in the S and P. And what Rob? Hey Rob, where did you get that information? An investment firm. Which one? A good one. <laughs> hmm. Sounds good. Freaking Will Ponds. All right, well, that is our show for the week. So if you have any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at elvlahus343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at Sid Metzen, S-Z-N. Subscribe to the podcast where you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.